This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello and welcome to that time of the month again on Line Dance Podcast when we have extra minutes to use up on our podcast hosting plan. So you lovely folks out there get to hear us talk about bullet points. <laughs> Got a list of uh, all these old notes that uh, I have from, I don't even know, the last few years, many of which have to do with line dance. And um, at the time, I didn't have anyone to discuss these thoughts with, but I knew they needed to go somewhere, so they all ended up on this stack of documents that we have here. So um, we'll be going through those, and when I say we, I mean myself, Christopher Gonzalez, and the lovely... Megan Barsulia. Yeah. All right, um, let's just jump somewhere mid-page. Where's a bullet point that we have here? Oh, 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 boy, we could go on and on about this. Um, teach at high schools, after school. Have another club sell snacks. So, like, let's say there's an um, Italian food club, and then they can sell food. It cross-promotes. Um, creates body comfort, safe movements. Cross-promotes with local business. Creates authoritative titles. This is useful for kids who want to get into colleges and they need to sound like they were the executive dance officer. You know, something fancy. Anyway, uh, let's see what else do we have. Outings. Definitely you could do lots of outings with dance. Rhythm. Non-contact, because it's no partners, so you figure it'll be safe for the parents to think, oh, they're not going to be touching my daughter, they're not going to be touching my son. Um, accomplishment, worldwide connection, because of course, if you're the weird kid in high school, like I think both Megan and myself, were you weird? Yeah, I was weird enough. Same. <laughs> I was the social butterfly, so. Okay. <laughs> but I was in choir and I was in, involved in theater arts yeah. and the swing dance club, so, mm-hmm. you know. And for young people who, um, who are like that and have an eclectic mix that doesn't match up with anyone else in their immediate environment... This brings them into connection with the greater world. Like, every every time zone has some kind of line dance, it seems. Um, oh, and then, for some reason, I put here, end with meditation. I guess you could. Um, I think uh, what I meant was something kind of like yoga, how you have that last couple minutes just to recenter and uh, prepare you for the rest of the world. Like, you, you have your safe... Um, what would you say um vulnerable space among friends and then you recenter you get present and you say okay now i have to go to the real world of high school (laughs) so yeah that's what i've got here for uh teaching at high schools if this were to be taught in clubs um and uh and maybe they had some kind of network i think that'd be really good really healthy Um, Well, I know, like I said, I was part of like swing dance club Mm -hmm. and that was in high school. Um, Granted, that was a bunch of, you know, kids self-appointed, create this club um, and, you know, learn the moves because of, you know, the lessons that we went to before we went social dancing on a Friday night. Um, And then we'd go and we'd practice the moves during our club hour. Mm Um, a lot of times that was during a lunch hour of just a regular day as opposed to after school. But it was a great, fun experience for me and everybody that was involved. 
and there was even so much of a you know like a couple times there was op- opportunities for us to quote unquote perform for the rest of the school for whatever event that was going on um but more recently i was teaching at our house which is was pardon um a group home for at-risk youth ages 14 to 18. And the reason why I was allowed to teach there was because one, it was a healthy activity. Two, it was a hands-off facility and line dancing is hands-off. Yes, it is. Um, And three, there was that uh, potential chance of discovering oneself and accomplishment and feeling really, really good about starting and completing a project um, and the struggle that comes with learning new things and then being able to actually apply that knowledge to something. And in the short time that I was working with the girls I was working with, there was a huge improvement. Um, They all were really, really excited to actually get to do line dancing on Wednesdays and you know, they were really energized and excited for it. And so that just kind of fed the room and they struggled, but they were determined to get it because past, past lessons, they had that same experience. They struggled with learning it and fought for it and fought for it and fought for it. And then when they succeeded, they had that reward um, and they felt really, really good about themselves because they were the ones who succeeded. They didn't have anybody else doing it for them. It was them. Um, and they really worked well together and encouraged each other to keep trying for things. Um, and it brought a really good sense of unity with the girls, uh, as well as the teammates that I worked with in the room. Um, they loved when the staff joined in and it became just a really nice bonding experience for the group of us. And uh, I miss it terribly. <laughs> but I'm glad that I could be a part of it for even the small amount. So if you were able to bring this on a much larger scale to high schools, I can see it having a huge potential. Hmm. You know, I have this in a couple of different bullet points. I find interesting. I could have sworn we mentioned this before, but I guess I'll say it again to cross it off and then tie it in with the new one. I have one here that says, what would line dance tourism look like? Does that sound familiar? Well, anyway, the, the We've next... We've had several conversations. <laughs> uh, I have another bullet point that says, sell a massive worldwide line dance travel package. Kind of like how you can sell season tickets for a, a, a sports team and just assume that they're actually going to go to all of those games. If there was some massive package that people could buy and get to, like, all the big events... I know that um, some of them are all under one umbrella, like the um, JC Productions uh, mm-hmm. events, but if you could do, like, all of them, all of them, like the Jesse package or something... <laughs> I love it. And, yeah, if you could somehow do all of them far enough in advance so that you could maybe get like a thousand or two dollars off then people could save up like seriously save up and say this is the year i'm doing all of them yeah i mean for the most part we know 
pretty far in advance, a year plus for mm -hmm. when the next dates are going to be. Um, and it would almost be convenient for some of the ones that host multiple um, events mm -hmm. to offer something like this. Promotes the little ones, um, the ones they're trying to fill. Yeah, it would, it would certainly be something I would be interested in. Um, and if you were able to work, I mean, because a lot of them work together too to get extra, um, like if they'll do raffles and stuff and so you can win um, the tickets to get into some of them. Mm -hmm. And so they'll have a lot of that are donated. So if they, if, you know, if they're working together to get donated, maybe they could work together to get some package and then just split the proceeds accordingly for what they, what it would cost each of them to begin with anyways. Mm -hmm. Sort of like those uh, community booklets where you have local businesses put coupons in into the book and they buy the, the whole thing for like 20 bucks to support the school. And then in that book, and they have essentially like commercials for each of these places in the form of coupons. Yeah. Yeah. I know, uh, my brother's football team did like the discount cards where mm -hmm. you, it worked at like 20 different locations and you got different deals at different places, but all you did was pay the school mm -hmm the one fee and then you got this card and you got discounts everywhere. Right. So that would certainly be something to consider. Mm -hmm. Let's see. I've got one here that I'll just move very quickly past. It says differences between quickly and diligently done choreography. And we actually explored that in depth when we put together hashtag woke pop, which nobody should ever learn to do ever uh, to the song chain to the rhythm by Katy Perry, like within I don't know, hours of it coming out or something like that, maybe within a day. And we, we just experimented with throwing steps together that seem catchy and marketable um, for the sake of like simulating a dance that's put out with no thought. Yeah. Um, so I think we, we went into that from just about every angle in really tackling the differences between diligently and, and carefully done choreography. There are also uh, reflection episodes on Line Dance Podcast um, that we recorded. Yeah, about there, what there we was, learned. that would be our uh, quickly and then the diligently would definitely be uh, Can't Walk Away. Mm -hmm. By uh, Thomas Rhett featuring uh, Marin Morris, the song being Craving You. Yeah. Um, let's see, I have another one here that says there should be billboard charts for line dances. Just call them new dances. So if you had charts, uh, not like Copper Knob, but uh, charts that the mainstream population would use, then they can see... It's kind of like how you see on Facebook every once in a while, like, this thing is the latest craze, whether it's bottle flipping or fidget spinning or Harlem Shake, uh, Mannequin Challenge. If there were, like, a list of, you know, the charts for crazes, you could think about that um, for dances as well. Uh, people know about like Dougie and Stanky Leg and whatever thing is popular. And in a way, I guess it would kind of kill the legitimate uh, street feel of some of the things because they, nobody wants to see this thing that they think is just oh, them and their friends goofing off and dabbing in a parade or something. Uh, they don't want to think that that's so easily accessible by somebody who doesn't get it and who's not in it. You know, They don't want to be 
quoted by CNN or something. And they're like, oh, well, now everyone knows about it, so it's passe. But uh, the, the idea as it was structured at the time was just that it would help people think about line dances not as some niche thing, but as something that everybody can do at any time to any song. Hmm. So if on the billboard charts some song is rising and there were like a little uh, icon or uh, link where you could follow that and see in parallel what the dance is that goes with it, then... Or multiple dances. Right, yeah. Um, then people could see that there's something for them to do at a concert. I also have something similar here in another bullet point here where it says get more country events to bring in line dance teams but that could apply to anything where there's music it doesn't have to be get more country events it could be get more concerts to bring in line dance teams because any artist that has danceable music probably has a few dances on the charts somewhere pretty much yeah (laughs) in one country or another Um, so if they're encouraged to to acknowledge line dance and maybe appropriate it from what's um what it's usually associated with, which is country, then um, more people can discover it. True. Let's see what else I've got here. Don't sell what you love because it's like selling your children. Sell what you're not (laughs) attached to. And I guess the idea behind that one was for people who are thinking about making line dance their full-time thing, if they put all their eggs in that basket, then they might get nervous and anxious and you know, desperate, all these un- unpleasant feelings around something that currently they just do out of enjoyment. And if somebody in the community isn't spending money on them, then they can't pay their rent and then they get mad at that person. And like, why do that? Just sell reams of paper or something, sell coats and make your money that way. And then the thing that you love, you can give freely and if people want to compensate you if they feel like gosh that was so great thank you for doing this like where do we drop our our cash because we feel like we should do that balance out the universe a little bit then you know you make that available if they want to but you don't have to it takes the pressure off of it yeah um there is something to be said about making your passion your career and how there is the potential of um that actually ruining your passion Mm -hmm. because you add in all of the negative aspects of work Mm -hmm. into it and it's no longer just play. Uh, However, you need to like what you do (laughs) Mm -hmm. because otherwise you're going to be miserable. Mm -hmm. So still like, figure out what it is that you like, but I let, but you know, allows you to pursue your passion. Um, I know... I certainly want to do more when it comes to the line dance community. Uh, but I like the idea of having an outside income when it, when it comes to the passion. Um, I certainly want to follow it and pursue it and have it still hold that same, um, excitement for me so I like the idea of having an outside interest or hobby that then brings in income um I I know I've said many times like the idea like if I ever won the the lottery I would still want to work 
um, just to keep myself going because uh, I liked the idea of keeping active and um, having that separate from being able to travel all around the world and do whatever I want when I want, um, having a job still was appealing to me because it kept my mind active and the idea of pursuing my passion as my income can get really, really scary on the idea that like, like you were saying, if someone's not paying you to be places, then how do you make money? And then how do you eat and afford to live? So it's certainly, um, I think it's good to have that safety net for my own ease of mind. Yeah, I think there are also ways that you can find things that are similar that still scratch that itch. Like if you're a theater kid and your parents keep telling you, like, don't go to Broadway, you're not going to make it, do something practical, whatever. You can do community theater. Community theater doesn't pay, so for money, maybe you teach public speaking classes. It's not theater, but it doesn't have to be. All it has to do is pay the bills. And then you still get to do the thing you enjoy and not put all this pressure on it. Yeah. And you are still providing a service. You're doing something similar in that it, it it makes the most of your ability to get out in front of a crowd. And when one thing, kind of like what I was saying before um, in another episode about, uh, maybe, I don't know if it was an episode, maybe we were just talking to Michael and Michelle, but um, with singing and dancing, if if you have one side of that Oh, because I, I sing during the day and I, I do line dance things, I guess, at night, um, for those who view that that confused for me to say. Um, each can be the escape for the other. So if one venue of life is a little more challenging uh, temporarily, then you can just kind of dive your mind into the other side. If everything is all the same side, you have nowhere to go. Yeah. So when dance is your escape and you need an escape from dance where do you go right exactly Mm -hmm. let's see what else we got um aha this is a similar actually teach instructors to feel personal power without dance that way uh i guess the idea behind that bullet point when i wrote it was in case anything ever happens like if you have an injury or you just have writer's block and you can't choreograph anything, you feel like you have nothing new to offer, and all of your self-worth and uh, feeling of professional competence is tied up in being this dance person, um, there should be some way to encourage people um, to pursue other similar interests, like I mentioned, um, outside of dance. That way they can still feel like they are able to do those kinds of things. They just aren't feeling their strongest in that one uh, domain. Uh, yeah, a perfect example is when you injure yourself and you can't dance for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been your identity for the past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can certainly put a damper on how you feel and how you see yourself. Um, 
And so, I mean, I know I was at least lucky enough during my injury uh, to be encouraged to have other outlets, Mm -hmm. um, such as learning different languages and learning, like, you know, programming and and still, like, pursuing a very high um, knowledge impact as opposed to physical impact. Um, a sense of learning because uh, you know we, we've spent so much time putting so many dances into our bodies and so much of that um, I believe actually has increased the elasticity in the brain and your learning capabilities that to not use it for three weeks would be a waste mm. um, and I know a couple of people have laughed at me when I've said that I'm learning ASL, French, and Java programming all at the same time. And they go, only you would take on that many different things at once. Hmm. So um, having those other outlets are certainly important. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes you a more well-rounded individual and you don't tie off your entire identity in one aspect. Because mm-hmm. when that aspect goes away, then you're left with having to rediscover, which can be great. Believe me, I've, I've been through quite a few changes over the last two years. But it can have a lot of lows, too. Mm. And a lot of struggles. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I have one here. I guess I'll have to remember the next time I'm interviewing someone. It says, ask choreographers to tell the story of their dance and ask which one has the best story. Do something crazy, it turns out, has an interesting story. I'll have to see which (laughs) other ones are along those lines. Right. Uh, Also, I have here a post-checklist for line dance travel because at this point we've got it more or less down to uh, this, this, that, and that, and then you know it all goes in a bag without having to think about it too much, not like imagining what will I need. For us at this point, it's more like, well, what did we use last month? Yep. And just, oh, oh look, it's still in my bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would also be interested in reading other people's lists and see oh, what, yeah. seeing what kinds of things that um, they, they find important or indispensable. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be kind of cool to have a list somewhere um, that people all around can add or at least comment kind of how they do with like, which dances do you guys still teach? Mm. Um, It would be really cool to be like, okay, other than clothes Mm. and your toiletries, because those are kind of given, what other things do you find like the most useful? Do you pack towels? Do you pack extra shoes? Do you pack... um, for in our case, a whole electronics tackle box. Um, <laughs> yeah, for with, recording, video, audio. Right. Um, what What's like the one thing you always have to travel with? Um, I have, for instance, I, I hate leaving it, but there's certain trips that I'm scared to bring it on. Um, I have a pillow that goes everywhere with me. It's a little, it's like one of the pillow pet things and it's a stitch from Disney's Lilo and Stitch and that goes everywhere with me. It lives in my car. Like, I mean, and so 
that's one of those things that I enjoy to bring with me that has nothing to do with dance, but it's just a travel thing that I typically have to pack. That brown Jedi blanket, I bring that in a lot of places because even if there's no room to pack it, I can just drape it over my shoulders like a gunslinger outfit or something. Um, you'd be surprised how many times that comes in handy. Like when you're cold and you need an extra layer, you, know, you got that for your shoulders. When you don't trust the sheets at the hotel, because <laughs> we like to save money. <laughs> we uh, do like to save money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then you got you got that for that. Uh, you can make it sort of a makeshift pillowcase if you don't trust the pillowcases, but the sheets are fine. <laughs> uh, and then you're covering things up in the car when we're going to Stoney's. You can just throw it over whatever's in the back seat. You don't have to worry about people walking by and window shopping. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely handy to have. Mm. Oh, you know what? I was thinking if you if you made that like crowdsourced big worldwide thing you could call it don't forget your dot com and people kind of like you know in a word cloud how you can see what words were used the most mm-hmm. uh, for an article or a blog or whatever and like the the major ones will be huge and the little ones that you only say a couple times or you know, somewhere Much off smaller. in the corner yeah um you could have like don't forget your and then the top used thing is like underwear and socks and then you'd have more for toothbrush than for floss because not everybody flosses yeah um contact lenses and so on and down the line and then yeah you could have the category of only one person said my necklace of saint christopher the patron saint of travelers or my lucky block of amethyst because it helps me have good dreams or my little satchel of lavender because it helps me get to sleep or their stitch pillow pet. Or their stitch pillow pet. Or their Jedi brown blanket. <laughs> uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. So many bullet points. Oh, yeah. Um. Hmm. Brand image that can be worn as advertisement, like patterned hat. Interesting. So you mean other than like the choreographer's shirts and whatnot? Right. Things that are more implicit. Kind of like how Bart Simpson wears the same. Well, his isn't as iconic. Like if you dressed something else in Bart Simpson's clothes, you might not immediately understand what that is. Like Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse or Minnie yes, Mouse. exactly. Yeah. Things that can be worn and also advertise what it is. Hmm. Besides their stereotypical cowboy boots? Right, things that would be more specific to a person as opposed to a genre. If you were trying to, well, it would depend. If you were branding a person, then you would do it for that. Um, if it were an event, then something you could wear that's practical and functional, but also is very event specific. You mean other than your uh, dance shirt? Again, yeah, things that don't require words. Things that are just, um, you see that, and I'm trying to think if any event does that. Um uh, not without words. Right. Because nothing I can think of is used only there. A lot of these events are indoors, so climate conditions are going to be the same. Maybe Fun in the Sun could have like a special something. Hmm. I'm trying to think, what would they use year-round? Um... No, that wouldn't work. I was thinking, like, you know those sunglasses things that attach to the the stick part of the glasses? Mm. So that um, when it's on both of the sticks, it wraps around behind your neck with a drawstring, and if your sunglasses fall off, then they don't go anywhere. But that 
Not many people really like to wear those. Not really. No. Um, what else? I know that makes it harder for me to like comfortably put it, put my glasses up into my hair like a headband, mm -hmm. um, and having that string yeah, bugs at the back of my neck. Right. But uh, what else is specific? Something. It's an interesting that's... idea. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything that anybody could come up with just yet. Yeah. And with people, it might be easier because people have quirks and things that they... Like um, Guyton's armband. If he had wanted to... Or his send, sunglasses or... Yeah. Like if he'd wanted to do something uh, specific for him, because only he does that armband thing that I've seen on a consistent basis, then people would probably buy that because they might want to wear an armband. and Or the sunglasses would be even better because people wear sunglasses all the time. And he's... I guess worn those on the dance floor more than most other people I've seen. Yeah. Um, yes. Like when I think about Guyton, I think about the armband, the sunglasses, or the beanie. Right. Lately, it would be the beanie, and it's kind of crazy that he's been around long enough that people are like, "Oh no, Guyton, he's the guy with the mohawk." No, Guyton, he's the guy with the rat tail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like all the different incarnations. I think of Joe with flowy shirts. But somebody else from back in her DVD days or when she was you know, teaching lessons on TV, they would have a completely different image of her. Right. Like high-waisted jeans and puffy western-cut shirt. Yeah, Rachel, it's either her pink shorts with her pink boots. Mm. Oh, the pink boots. Yeah, the pink or pants. her black and white fun flowy pants. Yeah, the me. zebra pants. Yeah. And then her updated zebra pants that are more of like a postmodern design that isn't just you know stripes yeah let's see i think i mean a lot of people especially in europe have the vest look but roy if he wanted to could jump on that and be like the vest guy mm -hmm. um he's also got that i you know it's funny joey has the picture on his t-shirt of him wearing the pork pie uh, fedora looking hat and i don't think i've ever seen him wear it in person when it wasn't some kind of themed event Right. Whereas I've seen Roy wear his a lot. Yes. So he could do one of those as well. I would probably wear it. It would be right. a nice alternative from the cowboy hat. Oh, let's see. Who else has something that's just them that also they could sell? Because mm. John is all movement and style. I don't really think of items with him. Or Scott. Hmm. Brenda is also about her movement. I should just keep a list of like all the choreographers on hand because you never know when you're going to need it. Just like look down the line. <laughs> River Donk also That's very much That's a lot movement. of choreographers, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. You could probably find something for Fred. What would he have? Maybe something you would attach to the, like, the oversized tongue of hip-hop-looking sneakers. You know how back in the day you had the Air Jordans where you pumped the... <laughs> basketball and it like inflated something or other so if you wore those kinds of shoes that's like a big billboard on your feet yeah Just except like, most sneaker heads don't like to mess with their shoes probably not not that i don't know if he is fred is a sneaker head but like that's just where my brain went mm -hmm. let's see dustin not that i've seen has anything yeah particular to him I feel like if anybody's listening to this right now, they're probably like screaming such and such name. How could you forget this person? Uh, let's see. Who else is there that I can think of? 
You know who Yenny? What Yenny could do is uh, little teddy bears, because she has. Um, oh, that's another thing people could do. They could just do something that's like iconic dances of theirs. So for Scott, maybe for it was like if it was had fun go mad, he could have a little. Not that people would wear these all the time, but like Mad Hatter hats or something like that. Um, or maybe like those glasses with the spiral eyes for madness. I don't mm. know. Um, yeah, people people who have a dance. Um, Joe, I guess, could do something for Dizzy also with the spiral eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you have a dance that you can make iconography for. Um, yeah. <laughs> Hashtag sexy gerbil. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> For Joey and the others. <clears throat> huh. All right. Well, let's see what I've got next here. Oh, this is, you can tell this is an old bullet point. Sell line dance as American dance to foreigners. And then I found out about the whole Catalan style and how they pretty much already do that. Like they wear the hats, the boots, like all things that we don't actually do. <laughs> and it's, it's a very American uh, feel in the room. Like when you watch their events and you see like an American flag in the back and everything's in German. I'm like, what? <laughs> What's going on here? Right. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else we got here. List naming techniques for dances. Or, wait, I have those mixed. I had technique as the next line down. N- list naming conventions for dances. I see three words a lot. Yeah. Uh, simple words. Simple, easy to spell words. Um, things that... I mean, I, you already see a lot of avoiding using the title of the song, uh, but also finding titles that are different from anything else, even if it's a title from some other song unrelated. Like, let's say, if we, for example, heard the dance Can't Walk Away. We, we did Can't Walk Away in reference to, or with reference to a line that's used in the, the track, uh, just Can't Walk Away from, so we just shortened that down to um, Can't Walk Away. And if some other song had used the words Can't Walk Away and their song was not titled Can't Walk Away, but it was posted as Can't Walk Away, then we probably still would have wanted to keep looking for another dance name. Because ideally, nobody else would have that name. For things like AK Freak, that's very easy. Like, nobody's going to have that. Fairy tales and love songs, whatever, exclamation point, exclamation point. I think two more exclamation points. No one's going to have that either. Very easy to find on search. Right. My and, ADD. Yeah, and that, that was one of the things that when we were looking at naming it, um, we were trying to stay relevant to what the song was, mm-hmm. but make sure that nobody else had a dance to that so that it wouldn't be confusing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's hard enough when, like, you know, there's six different ones uh, using the same name that are to the same song. Like, I mean, that's just a nightmare to like figure out mm. but uh, there's a lot that still use the same name but are set to different songs that you're like wait a minute which song was it that I wanted because I only got the dance name and I don't remember the track mm-hmm. so that that can be confusing as well that would be a fun activity if we were to do some kind of uh, aspiring choreographers workshop at an event and we had a little five minute activity about naming then you could throw out a song put the lyrics on the screen of the projector um, and you say all right what are some possible names for this dance what, what do we think like what do you see what jumps out at you what's catchy what's about three words what's easy to spell and then just take 
suggestions from the audience. That way they can stay engaged and they're not just listening to you ramble for hours at a time like we tend to do. Yeah, this is very true. Yeah. Bless you all for listening to us as much as you do. Indeed. And you still have another 15 minutes of us because we still have a lot of time left on our, our podcast um, subscription. Fortunately, we're limited to like less than an hour this time. So Yeah, it makes it a little easier for everyone. Uh, let's see what we got next. Oh, oh, this came up in a Tim Ferriss podcast recently. Sometimes it's better to retain who you have rather than try to grab everyone. The person talking was Whitney Cummings and she was talking about as a comic, like what it takes to be a successful comic. And she said, you need about, I think she, I definitely recommend listening to her episode because she does all the numbers on it, but she says you only need about 1 million people. Um, and if you're, I mean, in this era of being able to tweet out jokes and being, um, yeah. a YouTube celebrity and things like that. Like it's easy, it's easier now for a comedian to get that many people. Um, and that's only like fans. You don't have to actually get money from all of those people all at the same time. Um, but the idea is that if you are trying to appeal to everybody and you're always trying to replenish your stock of fans but you don't really care much about them or show them that when they become your fan they it, it's going to keep you on the treadmill forever like you will always be looking to have you know, more different people buy your dvds and whatnot um, whereas if you can just keep the people you have then that i mean that's first of all going to make your relationship with any audience stronger because they'll be the people that were at your last show and they're going to bring a friend or two and if you at whatever point have an increase in production value and you raise the price on your tickets for your event or whatever they will stick with you because they like you they like that you have acknowledged them as fans and they will pay the extra, you know, 10, 15 bucks, whatever it might be. Um, whereas some random new person is going to look at that maybe and think, well, that's expensive. I don't even know this person. Why would I pay that much? Better to, uh, there's, there's another um, uh, concept, the 1000 true fans and how um, that's something that you should cultivate as well. That's, I think Seth Godin's idea from the book tribes, or maybe it's its own book. That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe it is its own book. Google it. Anyway, um, when you think about it like that, like what do you need to live? What kind of income do you really need to live? If you have 1,000 true hardcore fans and what you're selling only costs about, let's say, $100 a year, which is high. Let's say you, you're, you're providing some kind of subscription-based service where they pay $10 every month. That seems like very little. Um, if you're paying, if, if you're charging even less than that, let's say it's only like $5 a month, $5 a month for 10 months. That's, um, you know, $50 a year. And you have a thousand people who are, you know, putting this money in. So now you have 50 times 1000, $50,000 a year is a good income. And that's for $5 a month. If you have 1000, oh, technically more than that, but yeah, was that? 
It's technically more than that, but yeah. If you, what, shave off the last two months? Then... Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, this is assuming you're just a deadbeat and you decide, like, I'm I'm going to move to an island, forget my fans for two months. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, two it, months sabbatical every year? Yeah. Sounds fair. And, and if you play around with the numbers and you do, you know, say you charge a thing that's five, that's $10, then you'll need 500 fans and so on. Um, that makes everything look a lot more doable. Like yeah. 1,000 people, again, in this large of a world is not that many. Like, think of, I don't even, I'm, I'm just going to not name drop this time. Think of your favorite world famous choreographers and how much you love seeing them come out with something new and how if they had some kind of membership subscription service where you got to see their dances a couple days before they're released and it only cost five bucks a month look on copper now like when one of their dances gets to the top it can be four or five thousand views if each of those people even if a minority of those people were people who were like the hardcore fans willing to pay some money for that membership service there's their yearly income right there. If they have 1,000 views that translated to a membership in their service for 5 or $10 a month, that's it. That's all you have to do. Right. Your whole life. Oh, my God. Okay, so we've discovered something just crazy right now. And I, I, I'm excited for when we pause because then we, sh- we should start crunching numbers. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, if anyone wants to also look up our episode, what would you give up or what could you live without if it meant you could dance all the time i think that'd be an interesting listen for you <laughs> uh anyway so that that's the bullet point that was uh, here was um since i never actually said what the bullet point yeah, that'd was be nice. i said one of my mistakes in how i've governed my line dance gigs in the past is not celebrating and keeping folks on board in a collected club-like manner because like line dance club we we have like a group chat and we have the club page and everything but there have been gigs that i've done where i'll just be teaching at like a winery one day and then i never hear from anybody who took the classes again um because i personally on my end don't follow up i don't say like here's this thing in nevado that's coming up where i'm teaching here's this thing uh, in pengrove where i teach twice a month if you want a reminder uh before that event comes up uh, give me your email address and I'll send you an, uh, an email and then you'll know you'll have the directions, like all that stuff. On my end as the instructor, I could do that and it's something that I just hadn't until now thought, gosh, I should really put the time into that. Yeah. Um, I know that there's a lot of th- things about making the people who've been with you through thick and thin feel validated for sticking with you for so long. Um the nice thing about it is I have noticed that for the most part, our community does a really good job of making everyone, whether you've been there for years or this is your first event, um, making sure that, you know, they're made to feel welcomed and valued and like this event wouldn't be the same without them. Mm. Um, so that's really good. But yeah, maybe if there was something a little extra for those who've been with you for the longest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Starbucks with their loyalty cards. I'm such a sucker for those things. Right. I spend way more money than I intend to because they have little rewards and perks for doing their... their Star Dash uh, stuff. Know, special purchase day. Ugh. But then I end up with like a good smoothie at the end of it, so it's, it's fine. And sausage egg breakfast sandwiches. <laughs> Starbucks, if you want to send us money, that'd be great. Sponsored deal signed. 
All right, I have a couple more things here that uh, are about groups. Uh, one of them says here, when inviting other dancers, I put into the group chat. I don't know. I guess maybe I meant group. Uh, when invited, inviting other dancers into the group, uh, ask, I guess that's more of a general sense, ask what we can build together that I might not have anticipated that we couldn't have done individually. I think, yeah, that's probably generally a good idea. If you do have access to a, a greater number of people and minds than yourself, um, really take advantage of like what's possible that we can do together that you can't do on your own. Um, when you think about like flocks of birds or schools of fish and um, colonies of ants and, and bees, each one, if they all did exactly the same thing, each one would not be as successful. But because they each take advantage of different strengths that they have and they divide up the labor in an efficient and effective way, they can come up with some like, amazing stuff. I think that's why a lot of the collaborations are such a huge hit for me mm -hmm. um, when I'm learning a dance. Like I get excited when I get multiple choreographers on one dance because then not only do I get to like celebrate both of them in one dance, but I feel like because they took their strengths and worked together, they produce a better dance um, for me. And they really hit things that differently than if it was just going to be one of them on that same track. Mm -hmm. They would not have necessarily seen the same syncopation or rhythm or, um, you know, step turns or whatever it is about that dance that catches me. Um, it was them working together to create something uh, that made it that much better. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Interesting. Okay, so I have two uh, bullet points that are sort of related to things we've said. One of them, um, use the membership model somehow so that patrons feel like more of a community. And that's definitely evident in fandoms um, because people can dress up in ways that they can connect uh, as when they're at conventions. Like they can see all these different superheroes and all these different sci-fi people, but when they see their people, mm. specifically their character who's dressed up just like them, then they feel this kinship and they've never even met. Um, great example, Portland with the colors for your favorite choreographer. Mm -hmm. Granted, it was really hard. I wore all the colors in one day, but um, it was fun separating at the event, it, um, like the night of the event, into our little color groups with our choreographer. It felt like we had this little special team. Mm -hmm. uh, not that like everybody else was excluded, but that we were included. Mm -hmm. So having something like that would be certainly fun. I have another one here that says, keep the discussions... Oh, interesting. This yeah. kind of goes against everything we've just been doing. Okay. Uh, but it says, keep the discussions that we have in group chat, I must have been referring to a line dance group chat, um, where we, were, we had ideas flying around all over the place. It says, uh, keep the discussions that we have in group chat secret because that's valuable and we might be more motivated to produce actual results publicly. I have experienced this before where you feel such a sense of satisfaction from airing the idea of something that you feel like you've already accomplished it <laughs> and then nothing actually gets done with it. Um, whereas if you hold on to it and you don't say anything and you just do the thing, then you can tell people, here's what I did, as opposed to, 
here's what I want to do. And when you just say, well, here's what I want to do, and people can say, oh, that's a great idea, pat on the back, da da da, then you're like, ah, oh, that felt great. Now I don't have to do it. There, there was your reward. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, a little, it's like withdrawing uh, from the future so that you can enjoy it in the present. I think there's a certain extent in which that works and mm. a certain extent in which it doesn't. Because mm. um, obviously I think it's great to share your ideas because of the fact is that you might not, you have like a hundred ideas and you may only ever get around to producing two of them. Mm. Um, so sharing some of them are great. Mm. But I know with us and in choreographing can't walk away we had this like secret for a couple days mm -hmm. and like we were like really like itching to the point where we're like okay no no we have this let's, let's go ahead and and share it to the few people that have already agreed that they'd give us feedback on it mm -hmm. and that was like scary in itself is sharing this and then waiting for the feedback and it was like we kept wanting to rush to release it, but we're like, no, we need to wait for all the feedback to get back. We need to wait for all of it mm -hmm. because we want to just put it out there because of that instant like gratification. But we knew that if we wanted to produce something better, we needed to keep it under wraps. Mm -hmm. There was one Tim Ferriss episode where the guy mentioned uh, that he tries to give his ideas away and hope that somebody else does something with them because he has too many. And if nobody else takes it and he still can't stop thinking about it, he just has to do it himself. And that's how he finds out, like, what's the most important stuff to him, the stuff yeah. that nags him. That that's... also only he could do because somebody else would have taken it if they could have. Yeah, All right. that, that's a, a great example of what I like to do as opposed to the opposite of just keeping everything. Like, mm -hmm. No, no, no. I want something to happen to it. So here, take it. Let the ideas pollinate. <laughs> And with that, it uh, looks like we're hitting just about the end of our time. Uh, so let these ideas pollinate in your garden as well. We will catch you again in the future on Move Radio or uh, LionDancePodcast.com. And I have no segue into this, so we're just going to say it. We will see, see you, you on, on the, the dance, dance floor. floor.